Hey, what is up, psychos? How's it going, man? This is Dylan Palladino, and this is my podcast, We're All Psychos, dude. And you fucking know that because you're coming back again for another episode. And if you're not, if this is your first one, welcome, dude. How the hell you're doing? How the hell you're doing? Can't speak. Uh, how the hell are you doing? Good? Have you asked yourself today, how are you doing? Maybe not. But now you just did. And now you're like, you know what? I'm doing... I'm doing okay, Dylan. To be honest, there's a lot of bad shit going on in the world, and that's true, you know. But today, uh, we got we got a I don't want to say different. All the episodes are completely on their own. Today, we got a uh, a great guest, um, Jonathan Asley. He is um, I don't, I, he's like a he's a self help coach. He's a he's a um, like dating, I'd maybe call him a dating expert, whatever, like whatever it is, but he's an all around number one, just a good dude. And we talk for an hour. We talk about uh, dating when you're older. We talk about what's leading to divorce. We talk, or we, dude, we talk about so much shit. And I just did it literally. We ended two minutes ago and I can't remember because there was so much shit in there. Okay. But it's great. You know, I know I don't, I don't have a lot of dating people on the show. That's not really my forte or anything that I really care to discuss all the time because there's literally 620,000 podcasts about that, all right? But this dude is great, and if I'm going to have someone to talk about dating and all of that, it's going to be someone that knows their shit, and Jonathan is one of those people, all right? So get ready to get introspective and think about how you date and how maybe you need to work on yourself, dude. Okay, but you already knew that because you're listening to this podcast and you already know we hear the fucked up shit about other people and we go, hell yeah, man, I'm kind of like that too. I should, I should work on that, right? I mean, sometimes that happens. Other times, we're just laughing about someone getting fucked with three dildos. Anyway, um, all right, dude, that's it. That's it. That, that's all this intro needs to be, okay? I just drank a bunch of coffee and I'm probably going to go drink more. Hell yeah, dude, I'm fucking, it's 12.30, and I got some shit done already, and that feels good. I hope you guys have a good day, I hope you have a good week, I hope you're staying safe wherever you are, I hope you are signing petitions, dude, okay, and just being an overall good person, all right? Happy Pride to all my LGBTQ family out there who's listening, okay, and hey man, let's, let's, let's keep it growing, all right? Rate and review, do all that good shit. All right, without further ado, hear the words you love to hear. Please welcome Jonathan Asley. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? We are all psychos. With Dylan Paladino. Thing, but we're in it, dude. We're good. We, okay, we, okay. we slide so, right in, man. Thing, you said being real. Yeah. And to me, being real is the awareness that we are responsible for our own journey. Like, in other words, to me, yep. that's the element of being real. In other words, I'm responsible for my journey. I take personal responsibility for my choices. And when you come to that awareness, in other words, it's not your fault it's not your fault for the problems in my life. It's, and exactly. when I use the word fault, in other words, it's my responsibility. Then you have an opportunity to be more real. Yeah. And, um, 
And sadly, many folks, you know, are stuck in the groove of being in a rut. They're stuck yeah. in their um, unhealthy ego. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when I said earlier, we're all fucked up. It's a matter of degrees, but yeah. they're so rooted in their stuckness that they don't even see it. Well, and it's it's an unfortunate thing that a lot of us don't understand. And I mean, it happens. To, it's a, a very natural thing to fall into that, like, ego first response to a lot of things and a lot of times you have to be reminded of it i mean for me every day but it's like there's so many times where someone is responding to something either they get upset with you or something happens and then you realize like it's it's their ego that's responding to it it's basically them saying like i don't want to be wrong so then you're wrong instead of being like oh wait a second this is more about me most of the time it's about you and whether yeah. that's dating, business, most of the time it's like you got to see what they're saying. It's absolutely like, like I try to think about it when um, even with politics, I'll sometimes try to think about it where if someone has a position on something, I'll go, OK, how does this relate to them? Like in the big picture, someone's like, oh, they shouldn't be doing this. Uh, blah, 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 because of this. You go, OK, well, what are the three? But how steps? does that really relate to you? Exactly. And I think human beings, or at least here in the United States, we're hyper-focused on the outside world versus the inner world. The external, yeah. Why, when I wrote my book, What the, the Heck, Heck is Self-Love? Love, anyway, it's a journey into self. In other words, an introspective journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and the, the book takes you down this path of ultimately, and my invitation for everyone, is to choose personal development, self-help, and spiritual work mm-hmm. as a daily practice. So yeah. you're not in that rut we were talking about 100% and it's an opportunity to become more real. Some people call it woke. Some people call it conscious, awake, exactly. whatever. Yeah. Enlightened. It. Yeah. Present. Ultimately, I boil it down to. Hold this. on one second. There you go. Do you feel inner peace? Ah, okay. Now we're good. We're good. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, do you feel inner peace? Because I believe inner peace is our guide. In other words, yeah, it's one thing to feel good. Oh, I made this big sale or oh, I did this or I paint, you know, something people liked my Facebook post or whatever. Sure. It you know, feels good. Feels, yeah. But it's very it's short term. Yeah. It's like a short term. What about hit. when you don't feel good? When Which is most and, of it. <laughs> yeah. And what about when I don't feel good because I'm the one inflicting the pain? Interesting. I'm crucifying okay. myself. Oh, you mean okay? So it's a lot of self-inflict, which is a lot of what people do—the self-inflicted yeah. pain. Yeah. In fact, I say dating, and so I'm a dating relationship coach. That's yes. my specialty. Now, um, I happen to specialize in people over 40 years old. So, okay. um, so when you said people become awake in their 40s and 50s, I was about to say, Dylan, you could be 60, 70, and 80 and still not even real. I mean, yeah, that's true. And I think, I was just saying, I think the generations have gotten, especially I would say, I don't know about the Gen Z because they're still fucking 18 right now. So none of them know what's going on. But I would say millennials almost, almost, it's almost become like a cliche where they'll go like, oh, what's your trauma? Like as a joke, which is kind of like diluting Wait, wait, wait. Time it. out. Yeah. Time out. Yeah. Do really millennials say that to one another? Oh, for sure. Like, oh. they'll say it as <laughs> yeah. a joke, but it's also a real thing where it's like, oh, like, if you don't tell me what your issues are or whatever, are you even being real with me? And I get what they're saying, but I also kind of feel like it's um, this weird, like, fetishization of trauma where it's like, you, oh, you got to have something fucked up. Like, let's talk about it. And it's like, dude, 
maybe you didn't have this insane thing, but it's something a lot more nuanced and you don't, it's like, oh, you have issues committing because you feel that you aren't ready for someone else. It's like this whole circle shit. You might not know, oh yeah, at nine years old, like a a priest did some shit. It's like, you might not have that. It might be a lot more. I think what's interesting about the, it's interesting about wounds and certainly the millennials. And I have a son who's on the cusp of millennial Gen Z. And I, and and what's interesting is this generation or the younger generation is actually seeking therapy to heal wounds, which Much I think is quicker. great. Yeah. Sadly, what's happening is many people wear their wounds as a badge of honor. Yes. As a badge of honor. In yes. other words, I am traumatized. And they. this is how – so I don't know if you're familiar with Tony Robbins uh, talks about the six basic human needs, uh-huh. um, certainty, variety – significance Definitely. love and connection growth and contribution significance so that's really what's coming up when that person wears their trauma as a badge and honor it says i'm important because yes. i've had this wound it's honestly a badge like you know if you're in the military you get badges for certain things it's like they're yeah. that's their cib which is like the big one my brothers are in the military when you go over, okay what's cib so cib when you go overseas if you're in combat it stands for combat infantry badge so okay, it's, got it, got it just it, got it. it means that you were in combat. But the the whole joke of it is a lot of times the guys now will get it because a rocket was shot and hit a thousand meters from them, but it still technically was a battle and then they get their CIB. Yeah. But it's like people it's kind of like the purple heart. I cut yeah. my finger versus I lost my leg. Yeah, yeah, the jo- yeah, the jo- yeah, the John Kerry purple heart, you know? Yeah. yeah it's exactly. Like, it's it's this thing where People should be proud, or I don't know if they should be proud of the things that happened to them. I more think they should be proud of the fact that they've embraced it or am trying to deal with it. But talking about it almost is like, again, turning into this badge, which is in some ways maybe not fully dealing with it, right? Well, I yeah, that's an interesting pers- perspective, and I would agree. On some level, yeah. when people are constantly processing the same thing over and over and over again, yeah. it's actually just falling into the same trap. Now, yeah. that's not to say that, hey, I'm aware of this trauma and wounds, mm-hmm. and it, I react this way in life. Okay, so you have awareness, okay? Yes. how Like, for example, my trauma is I'm stupid. That's my trauma. I was told by my third grade teacher in front of the class, you're stupid. So that trauma has defined who I am. And and I'm aware of it because I've done a lot of work. Now, what's interesting, Dylan, is that where how my trauma shows up is Uh when I think I know something, I become selfish or incredibly righteous. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So that's how my trauma. So I'm aware of this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, it, it's probably going to happen in this in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, in the, in the podcast. My righteous side will come out because my because my stupid side or this the other aspect of my personality thinks uh-huh. it's stupid. So why I'm bringing this up is I'm aware of this, okay, yeah. and I'm aware of it when it comes out. Now I don't sit there and belabor it over and over again mm-hmm. because guess what? I have another aspect of my personality where I get very anxious when I'm in relationship and I'm needy. Yes, <laughs> okay, yes. so it's another one. But I don't sit there and belabor it. I'm just aware of it. Okay, yeah, and that's the that's like the one of the biggest things is to at least because if you're aware of it, then at least if you see it coming up, you can get quicker at noticing it and being like, oh shit, that's that's what's causing me to be like this right now. 
Yes. And what I do is an exercise. It's a forgiveness exercise. And if your community isn't familiar with the uh-huh. Hawaiian forgiveness prayer, okay, it's, it's called the Hapona, Pona, 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 Pona. It's Hawaiian forgiveness prayer. And nice. actually it's a little bit different than that. So it's piece. really simple. Yeah. Forgiveness means forgiving love. So when I catch okay. myself going, ah, oh, I'm stupid. And I catch myself being righteous. The first thing I do is I give myself an injection of love. And the forgiveness prayer goes like this. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Why I say those words and why those words are so powerful. First off, it's injecting love inside of myself. And love is the antidote to all suffering. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, it's a pattern interrupt. It actually interrupts your your, uh, nervous system and shifting energy. So by saying the short nine word or how many words it is, yeah. Uh, um, I love you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I love you. Five. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I think, okay. Yeah. Maybe so, 11. Yeah. It's close though. Yeah. Not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is that you're shifting your nervous system out of that area of anxiousness that often arises. So remember okay. when I talked about inner peace, your barometer in life, at least this is my perception of the world is are you maintaining a level of equi- you know, equilibrium? Of yeah, inner yeah. Peace Homeostasis, of- yeah. Exactly. And whenever you're off, that's a time to look at something. Ah, uh, okay. That's, and, you know, I think a lot of people, me included, it, it, it depends on, like, where you're at. You know that there's something off, right? We, we a lot of times our gut and though like our new I feel like your gut can tell you not like not like I think a lot of times if you're acting in certain ways so, yeah. some people not everyone you might you might for me at least I go I'm acting out a little bit like whether it's I'm I'm going with more women or I'm eating more or I'm doing something I go okay I'm I'm straying from my norm and I know that there might be something there, but I don't want to investigate it because it's harder than me just ignoring it and doing that continuously. That's what I found with me. Yeah. And I, the only reason why I shook my head now okay. is that we are practically hypnotized by this little device. That thing, People yes. Hypnotize. And what's happened to, especially here in the United States, I mean, mm-hmm. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but certainly here in the United States. We are sucking on the nipple of victim consciousness. Okay. And so when people are sucking on, it's not my fault. And when I say fault, it's not my responsibility. Yes. They're actually not aware. They're, they're literally unconscious. They're, 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 you know, in other words, now their subconscious is aware. The subconscious. That's what is, I mean. Yeah. Here's the thing. But the ego is incredible. The unhealthy ego is so snarky. Yeah. It twists everything. To make it someone else's fault. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is is say, oh, it's my my fault. I yes. have to change because you don't want to deal with change. And I say, here's the thing. 97% of the population is this way. Yeah. 97. I mean, it's a very small percentage of the population that actually... Now, within that 97%, it's degrees. So remember I said before, we're all fucked up. It's a matter of degrees, Degree, yeah. right? So here's the deal. You have... Gandhi and Mother Teresa at one end of the spectrum, and you have Jeffrey Dahmer and Lizzie Borden at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, 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 okay? yeah, yeah. We're all we're all psychos. Yes. It's somewhere in that the spectrum. Yes, and so the closer you are to awareness, the closer you are to that three percent of mm-hmm. that population. And again, 
there's no scientific evidence. This is just my observation. Yeah. But it's it's really obvious to see in our news and our in our social media and so many different venues well, how unconscious people are. Well, people are just mainlining. Um, you know, you look at uh, what the news is pushing into us. They're just mainlining mainlining coronavirus stats. What's going on with the protests, riots? It's like they just want. It's almost like they want to see a bunch of shit going on because again, then they don't have to. Because, you know, a lot of people don't do this. It's really hard for us. But I remember I was reading whether it was it was it was someone I don't know, it was like either a stoic or someone from like hundreds of years ago. And then okay. um, he was talking about how he takes at least a couple hours a week to sit down and then do nothing and literally just sit there. And just be with his mind, and not even yeah. really meditate. Really, it's a kind of meditation, but it's a uh, you know your eyes aren't closed, but you're just you're there. Maybe you have a notebook, yeah. you write stuff down. But it, it was bringing up the fact that all of us right now we never have silence in our life. It's either a podcast, music, you're listening to the news, you've got TV on in the background, and like, and I'm guilty. I've got to do it all the time, but. If you sit down and don't have anything, you're forced to acknowledge your own thoughts and how you're actually feeling about something. And it's a pretty scary thing to do and something that's not taught to anyone as important, you know? Well, this goes to the Buddha. You know, he sat under the Bodhi tree and just contemplated everything in silence. And so whether, you know, now you said a few hours a week, which I think is great if people are open to investing that. I like to go even a step further. Um, Tony Robbins calls it the hour of power. And and I am using Tony as an example, yeah. is that he invests an hour a day to his personal development, self-help, and spiritual work. Yeah. I say, hey, make it simpler, 15 minutes a day. A day. Yes. It could be silence. It could be meditation. It could be watching a self-help video. It could be listening to a podcast like this. Something that nourishes your soul rather than watching the Kardashians or watching the news Mm -hmm. or watching the next um, reality TV show about the singer that did blah, 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 blah. Whatever's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Invest in yourself because all you've got at the end of the day is yourself. Yeah, true. And a lot of people don't think about investing in, or a lot of people think about investing in yourself is a physical, it's a working out, it's anything like that. But I, a lot of, we, we don't connect that with, oh, if I'm meditating or I'm taking time to journal how I feel, any of that shit, that it's also a just as much of an investment and a really important thing. Because, like, dude, at the end of the day, no one's going to take care of you the way you do unless you get yeah. a bomb-ass partner. And also, that shouldn't be their job. You got to take care of your own shit. A lot of times, that's what leads to unhealthy relationships is when the other person is codependent on you to, like, make them feel Great. I always say people, we've been so conditioned that I need you to love me for me to feel good about myself. Yeah. I need you to love me for me to feel good about myself. That's most relationships. But that's partly think about that. As we were raised as children, our parents gave us love and we didn't do anything in return other than coo and, you know, whatever. be kids. Yeah. Yeah. So we were literally conditioned this way. We weren't conditioned, and what you said earlier, we weren't really taught or inspired to start to love 
on ourselves first. And uh, by the way, my book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? Uh-huh. Sometimes the word self-love turns people off. So yeah, it's got a like a bad rap. Yeah. Well, it's kind of woo-woo or, Definitely it's, woo-woo, you know, yeah. or it sounds selfish, but maybe to help everyone out, self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-respect, mm-hmm. that's all encompassed in the word love. What led so, you to writing this book? Because before, okay. you know, before you'd written What the Heck of Self-Love, you'd written some uh, definitely books on dating or courses on dating men in general. What led yeah. you towards the, the book specifically? So I, I started to recognize that the number one emotional health issue, or let me say that dating and relationships uh-huh. trigger the number one emotional health issue. Okay. I, I started to observe this about, uh, two years ago uh, around, and I started to write some blogs called self-love means blank. Okay. The real catalyst though was when, um, and it's coming up on the anniversary two years ago that I lost yeah. my 19 year old son, Connor okay. to an accident. And I'm at his eulogy or I'm at his, uh, I'm at his, uh, funeral and I'm giving the eulogy and I stopped And I said to everyone, my dearest friends were there. And I said, everyone, I'm going to choose to grieve with love because we can all grieve right now through, makes me cry. We can all grieve through suffering, but I want us to embrace love because I know Connor wouldn't want us to suffer one minute in our lives. If you knew my son, he would never want that. Some people might want that, but he wouldn't. And it just, the, so I, I'm thinking, Dating triggers the number one emotional health issue. I'm leaning into love. And I said to myself, two, it was two months to the day he passed. I just started writing the book. Wow. And just as, again, as, a, as, a, as an invitation to look inward, that introspective work we talked about before. Yeah. And it was nine months to the day after it was published. And it hit number one on Amazon within a week. And I was like, yay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fucking awesome. And yeah. um, that's... That's really important. It's that you know, if there's any reason to start writing a book, I would say that's a a, a really good one. When you um, yeah. you know, because losing someone in your life is very tragic, and and yeah. we all know, and we all will either have to deal with that at some point. No one wants to think about it, but that is going to happen in your life. That is yeah. what life is, unless you are. I wouldn't say lucky enough, but some people would say, unless you're lucky enough to then go before the other people, it's not going to happen. But most likely you're going to have a father, a, whoever it is. And yeah. I think, I don't know if other cultures are better at this, but in American culture, at least, it feels like to me, we don't have a very good grasp on how to grieve correctly, I would say. Yeah. A lot of it is just shown either it's a funeral with everyone somber or it's some one person wailing, but we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to deal with the fact that it's a very death is the only reason we're here. Like it's um, it's not. You know what I mean? Like, like no, I, I yeah. well, actually, you know what? Can I piggyback on Go you ahead. for a second? You know, Ram Dass, um, uh-huh. the great spiritual leader, really explored the understanding that our greatest fear is centered around death, and when we can overcome the yeah. fear associated with death and actually embrace life from what you just said, death, then we become invincible in our lives. So it's, it's yeah. recognition. So, you know, it's interesting, Dylan, I'm, I'm in my fifties. Yeah. 
My looking mother good for passed. 50. Pardon me. Looking good for in your fifties. Oh, man. thank you. Yeah. Um, oh. So, I, my mother passed away right before my son did six months earlier. Wow. That was. I'm in my fifties, mm-hmm. and that was the first person that was close to me passed away. It's lucky. Yeah. And I like I went fifty years without any real significant death, and then bam, bam. Yeah. One after another. Fucking left, right, man. And I got woken up. And what was interesting was I began reading The Course in Miracles prior to my son's death. Okay. And it talks about death from a whole different, from a spiritual perspective. Is that a, who's that. that written by? Um, well, The Course in Miracles, I don't even actually know who it's written by. It's kind of like, I always say it's the way the Bible should have been written. Okay. <laughs> it is incredibly dense. It's like and the spark it, notes of the Bible? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's the way of looking at life without yeah. all the re- religiosity, okay. if you will. Now, first off, my suggestion for anyone hearing this is don't pick up the book and buy it because it makes no effing sense whatsoever. Okay, Do it with a study group of people. All I right. do a, a daily study group where we, we kind of pick it apart. And there's 365 lessons. Okay. But the lesson that was going on one month before my son passed away was centered around death and understanding that there's the death of the body, but not of the spirit. Okay. So when I began to lean into, we are all energetic spirits. Mm-hmm. We have an energetic spirit within us, and then we have our body. I miss my son's mortal soul or mortal body. There's no doubt about it, but yeah. his spirit is right here with me. And I embrace that as my blanket mm-hmm. of love. Because I could choose to be more focused on the fact that his body isn't here. And that does me no benefit. Yeah, grieving doesn't, um, grieving that way, I think maybe acutely, it can definitely help someone to get those and purge those emotions. But when you stick with it, it, uh, you know, there, it's not helping you or, or pushing you. And, and people like to say like, oh, if they were here, they would. And I think that does help. It helps uh, like personify that feeling because, yeah, dude, if I for some reason couldn't tell my mom or dad something, but I saw them sticking around, I would be like, guys, I, I don't want you to like, you know, because if it's someone you love, you don't want them to be happy. You don't want the if you want yeah. someone to grieve for you and be sad, like you're you're fucked up. You got got to deal with whatever's going on with you. Yeah, but you know what's interesting? So I joined, and, and this is this may sound a bit disparaging, so please uh-huh. let me apologize to everyone. I joined some uh, grief groups after my son passed away. Okay. And I recognize that people are so stuck in their trauma yeah. that that's how they create significance. In other words, remember going back yes, to the, the badge, badge honor. The badge. Yeah. Oh, I lost a child. And by the way, I'm going to say my ego goes down this rabbit hole as well. For sure. You're like, oh, you think you have it bad? I lost a kid. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, exactly. And I sometimes, I throw that out there. You know, that's my ego trying to be. And hey, man, you know what? You're allowed to at times because that's a really fucking hard thing to go through. Exactly. You know, thank you for saying that because I, you know, I always say, look it, I could, I could have went down the rabbit hole of destructing my life. Yeah. And most people would say you know what? They lost a child. It's understandable. That's what would happen to me. Mm-hmm. I'm showing up the opposite. It's actually invigorated my life because I want to say that, yes, I miss my son deeply. I mean, I, and it, it's painful at yeah. times and I want to embrace life at the same time because guess what? We get a short, we get a short visit here. 
His visit was shorter than mine. Okay. Yeah. My visit went a little bit longer. Uh -huh. Okay. And my father's 95 and he's still kicking. Damn. Good for him. Yeah, I know. It blows yeah. me away. Uh, and I mean, he's still actively kicking. Um, yeah. Although he's quarantined. Uh, yeah. Smart. So because yeah. you want to keep him yeah. 95 and older. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so but we're here for a short time, whether it's 19 years, 50 plus years, 95 years. Mm -hmm. And so let's fucking do the best we can with this. And yeah. here's the thing. You never get over a loss, whether it's a parent, whether it's a child, whether it's a dear loved one, whether it's your spouse, you know, everyone, you never get over it, but okay. you can certainly get through it. All right. And the, the, the way you get through it, in my humble opinion, is love. That's how you get through it, is embracing love. And so when I said my exploration was a deep dive into what it means to love, it actually, um, for the record, I have my own podcast. It's yeah. called the What Would Love Do podcast, where I explore life, love, and the pursuit of inner peace through the eyes of love. Because that is an amazing vaccination to emotional chaos is yeah. self-love. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, when you were going through the process of uh, dealing with the aftermath of um, Connor, what I like to ask this because everyone grieves differently, right? And yeah. uh, it, it depends on what, how you deal with emotions in general. However, it's, it's very hard as, I mean, it's the hardest, obvious, honestly, for the person that's going through it, of course. But as a friend or a loved one, a lot of times, I think, again, because of the culture where we don't, you know, you know, like, like Jewish people have the Shiva sometimes, like yeah. they, they, they understand it a little bit more. But yeah. uh, what for you was the most helpful thing that friends or family would do or say to make mm. you feel um, not okay, but not have that? Because, you know, a lot of times you say something and, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, like, yeah. blah, blah. And, and then, you know, your first response, well, actually, head is like, I oh, shot a video off. on, you know, it's like, I yeah. I shot a video on this, uh, what to say and how to date a grieving parent. Um, okay. So from my experience, I, I never liked it when, or I still to this day don't like it when someone says, I'm sorry. And, yeah. and this is my, and I recognize it's just that natural habitual thing we say, Yeah. but you have nothing to be sorry about. You didn't do anything. It's so like an empty it's form of sympathy almost. Yeah. And yeah. I get it. So what happened was I was with my dearest friend about a month, it was six months after he passed away. Mm -hmm. And he said to me something that really stuck. And I, I, I want to share this with your audience. He said, Jonathan, there just are no words. I don't know what to say to you. And all I can say is you're in my prayers. You know, Deborah, my, he said, my wife, you know, Deborah's wife, we're, you're in our prayers every day. And there are no words. I love that because you're just literally saying, I don't know what the fuck to say. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine the hell you're going through. And you're in my prayers. That's like giving me a hug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and then he gave me a hug, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, so um, actually give a give a, a fig figurative hug and then also an actual yeah, hug. Yeah, just, you know, ask for me, can I give you a hug? Yeah. And that's better than I'm sorry, at least for me, because when someone says I'm sorry, and I get it, they don't know what to say, but to, if, if here's the thing. I don't think anyone would regret hearing the words. There are no words because that is so encompasses. Yeah. And then you're in my prayers. That's like giving love. You're, you know, I'm sending you energetic love. And that for me was the healing. Okay. Um, the other thing too, Dylan, um, I'm divorced. Yeah. And um, 
there was only one other person on this planet that actually could share this experience with me. Mm-hmm. And that's my ex-wife. Yeah. What I mean is there are no, there's no other human being that can, even my son, my other son, or my mother, my, you know, anyone in my family. Yeah. No one's not the parent the of him except yeah. your ex-wife. And we, we talked a lot. I mean, we makes me cry. Um, yeah, it's okay. It it's was, okay. um, you know, we, we both grieved together on the phone a number of times. Okay. Um, it was sharing a good story about him. It was, you know, crying that he's gone. I mean, there was such mixed emotions. Sometimes we would talk for two or three hours. Yeah. Um, and we kind of rationalized everything, but that was the only person. And not everyone gets this benefit because they could have animosity. With, yeah, with I guess you were lucky house. that you had um, you had it break or end on like good terms. I would say. Yeah, yeah. our relation. Oh no, our divorce was chaotic. But it, <laughs> and and but it and there was a yeah. healing that happened years earlier that improved our relationship. So by this point, mm-hmm. when I began to embrace self-love, our relationship began to improve okay. um, because I didn't take everything that she said personally anymore, but that's a whole nother story. Yes. yes. Uh, but I reached, we reached a point where we could talk about it in a very um, loving way. And to this day, I just pick up the phone sometimes say, can I talk to you about Connor? Just because the other thing, a parent in particular it's that our child isn't remembered. Everyone focuses on my other son. Yeah, yeah. You know, and forgets to say, hey, can you just tell me a story about Connor? I just want to hear one. And, yeah. you know, those little things, at least for me, people are afraid to talk about your dead child. And it's the opposite. We want you to talk about it. Oh, Not okay. Not place of significance, that badge of honor, but just tell me a story about him. Tell me something funny about him because then we can, we're going to get sad, but at least he's still alive. He's alive in that moment. When you're talking about him, you get to relive, you get to almost uh, be there experiencing that story because you weren't able to be there with him. It's almost like, yes, exactly. If they had a funny video of him that they had never showed you and you got to see it and watch him like, I think, like like you said, uh, don't we're gonna cry. We're afraid of that fe- of that sadness because a lot of times we don't know how to deal with it and we see it as bad. Whereas you crying about him is not a why are you hurting me? It's a I'm having all these emotions and I need to get them out, but I'm happy to be with him again. By the way, do you mind, real quickly, how old are you again? I'm 27. Fuck, dude, you are, I mean, okay, so I'm double your age, okay, and I share this with you, and uh, for those listening to this, you're incredibly self-aware. Thank you, brother. A lot of 27-year-olds don't even come close to having the awareness you have, and just to be able to articulate that at your age is Mm -hmm. phenomenal, so I just want to give you a quick Thank you so much. Well, it was was the past, my last relationship that kind of led me on a path of just being like, and I'm still dealing with it now, but it was, um, it ended, and I was like, I can't get in another one of these until I figure out what, like, what this is and what's good and bad and what I have to deal with. And oh, well, then, dude, you need to get this book. Okay. Getting the Love You Want by Harvell Hendricks and Helen Hunt. All right. Um, Why you need this book uh, is it helps you understand why you choose certain types of people based on that. So yeah, that's it's you know because I've everyone notices a pattern. I think I've definitely noticed a pattern, 
And uh, some, one of my friends said he heard that a lot of times we choose people because a lot of people will go, oh, why did we choose always the same person? Or it kind of reminds me of my mom or whatever. And someone had said, uh, it's not because you want your parent. It's because you're used to being around them. And so you feel comfortable around that. It's called familiarity. It's what's familiar. Okay. This book talks about the imago and we choose partners based on. So, for example, um, I know someone who a, a man yeah. who's in was in relationship with a woman who was a screamer. She would yell at him constantly. That's yeah. And I'm okay. like, why would you put up with that shit? And it took him a couple of years of therapy to recognize that it was his father who was a yeller. And that's how his father demonstrated love was through you know, literally belittling and yelling at someone. But that uh -huh. was so familiar that the adult, you see the little child in us says, oh, that's familiar. But the adult doesn't have the, the, the wherewithal to go, but this is toxic. Yes, yes, yes. So it's just, in a, this book is a great book for getting clarity on that awareness, how we choose what's familiar based on our upbringing. And it could be mother, father, it could have been a sibling in our life, it uh -huh. could have been a surrogate parent, it could have been, you know, someone, it could have been an aunt or uncle um, or a grandparent. Yeah. So recognizing that first will help eliminate that, repeating that pattern. Yes, because it is something that you can very easily repeat. Just with yeah. someone that women has oftentimes choose emotionally unavailable men. It's because their fathers were emotionally unavailable. Hell yeah, dude. They choose me. All right. And that's, <laughs> Are and you I'm, emotionally unavailable? To a certain extent with relationships. It's a weird thing where it's like, I'm not emotionally unavailable with a person. I can be a human. I can be, yeah. uh, I can be one-on-one -on -one with someone, whatever. But uh, I never wanted a very serious relationship beca because of the one earlier. So then people would be like, they would want more from me. And I'd be like, dude, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't want to get that serious into it. So then I think they would call me emotionally unavailable. But in reality, it was more like relationship unavailable. But have I been called emotionally unavailable by multiple women? The answer is yes. So you know what? I can say without a doubt, uh -huh. you are not an emotionally unavailable man. Okay. I can say that. What And why I'm saying that is you have a high level of emotional intelligence okay. compared to most 27-year-olds. You are introspective enough that you're probably aware. Yeah. What you may not be familiar with is some, something called love attachment style. And there's a great book called Attached okay. by Amir Levine um, and Rachel Miller, Heller, excuse me. Um, we tend, So love attachment is how we attach to another human being. Mm -hmm. And some people are what's called anxious. In other words, they're needy. They need love for them to feel good. Yes. Then there's another called secure. In other words, they're secure in the way they attach. To Someone love. sent me an article about this, the avoidant one. I'm the avoidant. You're one. the avoidant. Yeah. Now what avoidant means is you're afraid of love. So yeah. that makes you pull back just a little bit, yeah. but I don't think it's not you're there. You're emotionally available. It's that you, when you're with someone who's needy, you need space. 100%. So learning how to become secure prepares yeah. you because you're already a communicator. You seem mm -hmm. like your actions match your words. You take responsibility for your choices. You have yeah. a level of empathy. Um, learning how to fight fair is another important component of emotional maturity and then transparency. Okay. Um, I did a video on this, the five signs of emotional maturity uh, and a podcast on it. Um, but I'm going to tell you, you read a couple of these books and I'm recommending yeah, yeah, yeah. because their perception of you of being emotionally unavailable 
is partially because they're not even in touch with their own feelings, these women uh, that you've gone out with, most why you, likely. Why do you think um, as human, because it's a it's a human thing, I would say, regardless of, like, everyone needs a lot of help, I would say, most of the yeah. time with dating. What do you think it is about it that we have such issues dealing with other people or finding out how to make it work? Yeah. So remember when I said earlier, dating trigger, dating and relationships trigger the number one emotional health issue. Yeah. I didn't say what it was. The number one core wound most mm -hmm. every human being is feeling is I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not likable. In other words, there's a core wound we all feel yeah. on some level. And for some people, it's much deeper than others. Why dating and relationships trigger this is when you're sitting under the Bodhi tree, it's just you, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there were both, you know, as a matter of fact, Bodhi uh, uh, um, said, yeah. all suffering comes from attachment to other human beings. The minute we interact with another one, bam, that's when triggers happen. Oh, yeah. And guess what? I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest and a little open right here. Sometimes I've met someone or started talking to someone that I like, and I've noticed that in myself. And I've been like, I gotta, uh, I, we gotta, we should probably stop. Like in my head, yeah, a hundred percent. I won't say it to them, but like I'll notice. I'm like, oh shit, I actually like this person. And I'm like, this is most likely gonna lead to something bad. I'd rather just like, like move on. And I've noticed that in me before. Well, we are biologically driven to pursue chemistry yes. from a physical perspective. In other words, everybody thinks chemistry is like if we have chemistry, and I'm mm -hmm. using chemistry in this analogy that you just shared, is that if we have chemistry, we're a match. Okay. Yeah. We've been so conditioned to be that way. In other words, when brain chemicals are released in the body, yes, dopamine testosterone, yeah. oxytocin, estrogen, serotonin. We think they're a good partner for us. And the stronger the chemistry, the greater we believe that they're right for us until uh -huh. all their wounds start to surface. You know, how, mm. how the wounds start to surface. About um, six to months to a year, you start to notice yeah. some shit. You're like, wait, what the fuck? Chris Rock said it best. Yeah. He said, most people show up as the ambassador of their best selves when dating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fuck. Actually, it's not even six months. Believe it or not, most people, like I've talked to women over and over again who have mm -hmm. gone through a breakup, and they almost say the same thing. You know what? I knew something was off in the first or second week, but I went against my better judgment. Yeah, I mean. We actually got the clues earlier. We just didn't listen. We didn't listen. Yeah, because because I think a lot of people, I, you know, I've been there, I've experienced it. I think a lot of people, we have gone through so many failed uh, setups, failed dating, that if we find someone that we have some kind of connection with, we're like, fuck that. We have that famine mentality of like, fuck this, man. Let me just see if I can make this work because it's going to take a long time for this to come around again. Yeah. Yeah. My mother and father who are in this picture right here. My mother had one guy her whole life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, never dated anyone. She met my father at 15. They end up reconnecting five years later and got married. But literally one guy in her life. That's wild. Now, the average person at your age has probably had, I mean, half a dozen to yeah. 20 potential sexual partners. 100%. <laughs> yep. Which I think is you know, good. I think that's helpful for you to find someone that you actually connect with. You know, 
I, I struggle with that one only because I do okay. believe the more we have experiences, mm-hmm. the more we start comparing every experience. Yes. Instead yes. of looking at, and I meant to say this earlier, when you can look at experience and say, what did I learn about myself in this experience? Not Oftentimes people judge the, the ending of a relationship. They cheated on me. They were unfaithful. They were emotionally unavailable. They're pointing yes. the finger at what was wrong with the other person. Instead of saying, God, what did I learn about myself? You know what I learned? I'm an, I'm an avoidant attachment style. I can be more communicative in relationship. And I yeah. learned that I could be a little bit more aware of my partner's feelings. And I learned this. Instead of but, you know, belittling the, the past relationship and then getting stuck in a loop, ask yourself, what are you grateful for? What did you learn? Okay. And how can I make it even better the next time? Well, like um, I, I heard, I think Esther Perel talk about this, where she said yeah. a lot of times we look at relationships ending as um, a failure. There we go. Book. Mating in captivity. Esther Perel. Her book. Jeez. By the way, yeah. I keep all these books next to me. <laughs> That's smart. It's, I mean, it's really helpful because it, it in two ways is it like, okay, here's my reference points. So you can go there and read it. And it's also uh, giving like uh, credence to, or like believability to the fact that you're like, look, I didn't get here sitting under a tree and just figuring this out. Like I've read books, I've done research. I've like, I've been in there. That's where, that's where this is all coming from, you know? Yeah. Well, um, just really quickly. And I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have over 20,000 hours of coaching. I have 3000 yeah. hours of workshops and trainings and neuro, I have a neuro linguistic program certificate, uh, uh, certificate. I am currently getting my cognitive behavioral, uh, therapy certificate. Um, I've done a lot of work and yeah. I'm here to say, I can scratch the surface, but there's great material. And you were just about to talk about, or you started to talk yeah. about Esther Perel, which I think she's brilliant. None, if any of you are interested, just YouTube her. Her content is amazing, but you were yeah. going to say something no, about No, I was going to say um, she talks about how we look at relationships as failures, which I am oh. ending and I don't think that we necessarily should. Like, like your uh, your marriage. I don't know how long it was, but do you necessarily look at that as a failure, or that's when the relationship needed to end? So, great question. I was married for twelve years, uh-huh. and interesting. A lot of people say I failed in my marriage, and I just say no. My marriage, my marriage ended. Yeah. Okay. It's by the way. Think of the word, the words I use. If someone says it's a failure. You know, your fault. rather than go, look, it just ended. It doesn't, you know, there's a, uh, I, there's a part I played in and there's a part she played into it. Yes. And whether we come to terms with that part is irrelevant. I just come to terms with it ended. And there were a lot of great things that happened or a lot of not a good things, but you don't have to, by the way, chapter one in our lesson one in the course of miracles, everything has no meaning is the gist of it. In other Jesus. words, yeah. why create meaning out of something? People create meaning out of the past and blow it so out of proportion when it just, it happened, it ended. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean failure. Well, you know, the only example I have that I can connect to in my life is my parents' marriage. Theirs yeah. ended when I went to college in 2010. Okay. And I wouldn't look at it as a failure because like, it made me and my two brothers, and also that shit needed to end. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy it did. That's a yeah. successful marriage that they were married, brought up kids, 
loved each other, figured out they didn't love each other, <laughs> stayed in it honestly for probably five years too long, but you know what? It takes a long time to end it. And then yeah. they ended that shit, which was good, and now they're both with partners that they love more. So it's like, Aww. it's not necessarily a failure. We just, for whatever reason, have been conditioned to think, oh, relationship ends, we failed. Like, if you get in a relationship, it has to last forever. And I don't know where that idea is coming from. I don't know if it's fucking Disney. I don't know if it's our, like, whatever it is. But I think that that idea of. Well, you know what, though? My parents were of a generation where it was yes. once you're in, you're in. My grandpa, okay. too. 50 years and, until my grandma passed away. Yeah. And what was interesting is I talked to my mom once, and they were married 66 years before my, my mom passed away. Mm -hmm. And you would think they were happy and giddy with one another. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that this, that the, you know, they're just this old couple that was cute. Yeah. Yeah. But my mom said to me, she goes about 10 years into the marriage. She goes, I hated your father for about 10 years. <laughs> she goes, I kept wishing he was dead. Oh my God. So I could get the life insurance. Now. Hell yeah. That's so honest. I love that. <laughs> no. And, 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 now, what, what that really was a sign was, is that the reality is in today's world, hey, they ain't working. We go out and get the next one. Yeah. And on some level, the, the challenge in relationship is overcoming the expectations. And what my mother said to me eventually and my mm -hmm. father was the recognition that part of the problem was herself. So uh -huh. she started to go inward. And how she went inward was... She took vacations without my father. She, my mother was a professional gambler. I mean, she was a phenomenal poker player. Was she really? She to, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine a woman 300 pounds sitting at the table because my mother was a big woman. Yeah. Old from the old country. Look, guys could never figure out her shit. She, she just had crushed. poker face like you couldn't believe. I mean, whoa, that's I, awesome. I got my lunch money based on how well she did at the poker clubs uh, near where we live. That's amazing. Did she ever have any, like, like what's her best poker story? Did she, like... So, she actually played uh, bridge with Omar Sharif, the famous actor back in the 50s and 60s. Damn. I think she played poker once with Telly Savalas in Vegas. Wow. Uh, but, but most of it, she was a champion bridge player. She just had a good card sense. But going back to my point was, uh -huh. my mom went introspective. She recognized that she was the problem. And... And her expectations. And then what happened was she just started to shift how she felt about my dad. And they became closer and closer together. Oh, okay. That's what wedding vows are supposed to mean. You know what? You stick it out through thick and thin. It also means you're going to invest in yourself. Yeah. And most people don't invest in themselves. And they should be with other partners. I mean, they shouldn't mm -hmm. be with this partner if they're not willing to invest in themselves. Okay, so that, then I would ask you, with your experience, let's say I'm in a relationship. It's been ten years because if you, yeah. I think I say if you've stuck around with someone for ten years, then there's at least enough good most of the time that made you stick around. You know, some sometimes yeah. they're toxic relationships for sure. Yeah, but. What would you, if you get to the point where you're like, all of a sudden I hate my partner, I don't know if this is working, what would you say is something good to ask yourself that will help you decide, okay, I need to push through this and I think it will lead to us being stronger or this relationship has come to its end and we need to, like, you know, the, the, there were two options. Like your marriage ended after 12 years and your, yeah. your mom pushed through and then kept going for another 50. What do you yeah. think is like a good, 
I don't know. Ex- not That's exercise, a great but- question. And by the way, let me just say this. Nobody should stay in a relationship that's toxic. Yes. Um, you know, like my, the friend, like the, the man I was talking about with that woman who was toxic, yeah. that's not a healthy relationship to stay in. Mm-hmm. So you have to certainly evaluate the good and the bad. Um, in this particular case, my mother said she went inward. In other words, she stopped looking at it from it's his fault. And she started to look at how she contributed to the, the challenges in the relationship. Okay. Now, we're thankfully, she's of an old generation. That doesn't exist in or them, excuse me, mom and dad are old generation. We're in a new generation where we get one benefit that my folks didn't have, and that is the opportunity for self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't exist before. So emotional maturity. I've I've labeled the five signs to emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. Really simply put, your actions match your words. You take personal responsibility for your choices. You're a victor and not a victim. You um, learn how to fight fair. What that means is you learn how to communicate where it's, remember you said earlier about being right? Yeah. It's not about being right. It's just about expressing how you feel and listening to your other partner's feelings. The fourth is empathy. A strong relationship is, first off, it starts off, I care about my needs. Then I I care about your needs and then your needs become my needs. Okay. Okay. That's a critical component of empathy is that you care about the other person's feelings and their needs becomes your own. And then lastly, transparency. In other words, you learn how to, you do your best to communicate what's coming up in your life and in the relationship. And if your partner asks you share, that's emotional maturity. That's what I, I encourage everyone to strive for, because when two emotionally mature people enter in relationship, hey, you may not be aligned with one another. It yeah. may not be, make sense to break up or may, may, it, to it may together. make sense to break up. Yeah. Okay. But you're going to do it in such a conscious, loving way that it's never going to feel like a failure. It's going to learn, be like a lesson. Yeah, true. And it's okay to look at a relationship as a lesson, too. Um I don't know if you're familiar with um, Catherine Woodward Thomas. She wrote the book Conscious Uncoupling. And the big famous conscious uncoupling couple is um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. I've heard, I, I think I've heard it be referred to, but yeah. yeah. So when Catherine was writing her book, she called me and my ex-girlfriend because we did mm-hmm. a beautiful conscious uncoupling of our relationship some years back. And she wanted to put us in her book because we recognized that while, hey, we, we love each other and we're, we, you know, we're emotionally mature, but we're not a fit and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But that's how grownups look at it. Emotionally stunted people are more focused on what the other person did wrong. Blaming. And, yeah. and you're going to break up and you're going to do the same pattern over and over again. Yeah. When grownup people get together. And by the way, now here's what grown up emotionally grown up people do. They read this book, another book. <laughs> Eight Dates by Dr. John Gottman Uh and his wife, Julie. This is the Bible for figuring out how to have a great relationship. Eight Dates. If you want to be in an awesome relationship, then two people, before the penis gets to go into the vagina, my suggestion is learn this shit. Yes. And then apply it when you're dating, mating, and relating. Wow, that's great. That's okay. So that's <laughs> I'm kind yeah. of opinionated. No, I love. Uh, yeah, yeah. I saw the I saw the third the third grade come out right there. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Was um, I a little right? You know yes. what? You were actually, actually, but you were because you know what's interesting. I become parental too. 
I become, that's another oh. facet of, so my, I have kind of adopted myself. Well, I'm a dating coach for women. Uh-huh. And I've kind of adopted myself as the, the big brother. So when that, let's say, for example, it was your prom. Okay. Yeah. Dylan's your prom. You're going to pick up a girl at her house. You're 17 years old. I'm excited. And the girls wait, you've got the flower in your hand and the door opens and the big brothers opens it. Oh shit. And he goes, pulls you aside and says, look, this is my sister. If you fuck with her, I'm going to kick your ass. So you better treat her with respect. Right. You better protect her because I'm expecting you to protect her and make sure she gets home at 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're going to get the shit kicked out of you. Yeah. So yes, my parental side does come out for that reason. <laughs> That's good. No, I mean, um, do you ever have a, of men ask you like, uh, like men ask you for advice in dealing with other men? Like, do you ever have... I know you probably deal mainly with hetero couples, but if, are there any like gay you, you know what? That you deal it's with? rare that men come to me for advice, mainly because okay, so women are fascinated with why. Why do men do this? Why do men pull away? Why yeah. do men are narcissists? Why are men this way? They're so fascinated with the why. Men are more interested in one, two things. Yeah. How to pick up chicks yep. and how to pick up hot chicks. <laughs> in other words, we're more focused on the confidence it takes to meet a girl. But I tell, but here's the problem. Once yeah. you meet a girl, you guys have no fucking clue what to do next. Hell no, dude. We don't know shit. Yeah. Buy this book. You're going to learn. Eight dates. Okay. Eight dates. I like eight that. Dates. That's good. Uh, it talks about the eight core things that make a successful relationship successful. And what John Gottman did is he's a marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. He looked at what was, what made people get divorced okay. and reversed engineered it. In other words, people get divorced for these eight common reasons. Let's think about those before you get incredibly sexual with one another. So you don't become attached uh, to a human being. That's not right to you. Beautiful. Okay. Right for you. Yeah, right for you. Awesome. I think I think you have to get out of here, right? Twelve thirty or nine thirty. Yeah, yeah, yes? yeah. Well, beautiful. Okay. Um. So just to wrap this up, uh, the uh, the website's Jonathan Asley, right? Or Jonathan Asley. Jonathan, correct. Jonathan Asley, and the most recent book is What the Heck is Self Love, right? Anyway, What the Heck is Self Love? Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you also and you have do you have any of those books that you mentioned uh, mentioned on your website at all? No, you know, I should. Everybody keeps asking me that. I, I literally show them on all my videos and stuff like that. Yeah. So on my YouTube channel, I talk mm-hmm. about the books. On my podcast, I talk about them. But I probably, oh, actually, in the back of my book, yeah. <laughs> you buy my book, I list all the best resources for personal development. I list Fantastic. all the best resources. So go to my book to get all that. Okay, <laughs> all right. So go to get his book. It'll have all the resources in there. And if you want to contact you more, just go to your website or your Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter, website, uh, YouTube, um, podcast, yeah. whatever. Find a way to contact us. Sweet. Jonathan, I-, I hope we get to meet in person someday in LA, man, or in New York. Likewise, right? man. You are awesome, Thank dude. Thank you. It was great, great talking to you. This was fantastic. And good luck with the, next, the rest of your day. I know you got some other interviews today, so keep it going. Drink that coffee, right? <laughs> Will do, man. Thanks, awesome. buddy. See you later. 